Welcome to Miramar. Hope you enjoy it. You guys having a good time? Good. Good. Glad you are. I do want to tell you something, though. There's two words that if I spoke them, that uh, it would send a shiver down your spine. I'm sure of it. In fact, when you read these two words associated with your name, it immediately ruins your day. In fact, when you read these two words associated with your name, not only does it ruin your day when you read it, but you will actually not be able to stop thinking about it until it's over. Two words. Jury duty. That's it. That's it. I mean, now, can I ask you, how many of you have actually ever spent a day at the courthouse in jury duty? Gosh, is it horrible. Now, maybe this is another good question to ask. How many of you have ever spent a day on trial at the courthouse? All right, don't ask. Don't answer that one. Don't answer that one. Ladies are holding their purses so much more tighter now. Um, But here's the thing is that there aren't too many days that I wished I was an illegal alien. But man, the day that I get the jury duty notice is one of them. I'm like, I wish I were here illegally when I when I read that. Uh, But here's the thing is that now here's the part that bothers me is that uh, my wife and I have been married for 13 years. Uh, We've known each other now for almost uh, in December. It'll be 18 years since we've met. And um, she's I've been picked several times. She's been picked once. Uh, it makes me question her citizenship uh, when I see that she's only been picked one time. And, um, you know, the part that really bugs me is that the day that she got picked, of all out of all these years that she could have been picked, she finally gets picked and she goes there, and it's the day of a judge's conference. There's no judges there, so there's no trial. So they sent everybody home. It's just, it was, I couldn't, I was so mad. Uh, and, you know, like, of all the times that I've been picked, you know, you, you end up in the jury pool. I don't know why they call it that, because that's one pool you don't want to swim in. Uh, so, and then I got picked for a trial. This is one of the times. And the guy was accused of this crime. There's so much evidence against him. I mean, it was like, you know, it was, it was bad. And uh, so the defense, knowing their situation, they just, you know, did a plea agreement. And that was the end of it. So I got to go home praying that I'd never get picked again, which God decided not to answer that prayer. Because uh, I've gotten picked again. And, um, but here's the reason why I bring this up is because I, every time I'm in that situation or someone tells me that they're going to jury duty, and by the way, this is what you're thinking and what I'm thinking every time someone tells you, oh, hey, i got to go to jury duty tomorrow, you know, you're like, oh, man, I'm sorry to hear that. But here's what you're secretly thinking. I'm so glad it's you and not me. Um, but anyway, so you, uh, so th- but this is the thing, is that I've, I've always thought this, and that is that is there, have you ever wondered, I mean, if there was evidence of without you ever even having to speak would there be evidence that god is working in your life i mean if someone was just trying to collect some evidence to build the case against you that i'm going to put this person in jail why because he's a christian i mean would there be enough uh, evidence to, to actually show that god is working in your life or not to show that maybe god is is that you're growing in your faith and that those around you can see the work that god is doing and here's the thing about it it's just there's this counterintuitive idea and and here's what it is it's that um salvation is a spiritual occurrence i I think you'd agree right in that um when jesus comes into someone's life when jesus if you're a christian here if jesus came into your life here's what what happened is that um you prayed to receive christ you believed the gospel that jesus died for you that he was buried that he rose again and that um that by through your faith in him that he would uh, that he would forgive all of your sins and that you'd have a place in his kingdom and you could begin eternal life right now in him. That's really good news. But here's the thing. Like, nobody can actually see that. Like, there's no stripe going down someone's back that says they're a Christian or no stripe if they're not a Christian. In, in fact, there's just it's, just, it's just, it's a spiritual occurrence. So 
the question is, you can't really tell that someone is a Christian by the way that they look. But here's the thing that's interesting is that we try to do it, right? We, 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 uh, we try to put like Christian fish on the back of our car because people want, we want people to know that we're driving a Christian car. It's not just a regular car. It's a Christian car. Um, and, and I personally don't put a fish on the back of my car because I don't want to, um, you know, make God look bad with my driving. Uh, but, but honestly, but here's the thing, like, and, and it's just weird because you see the fish on somebody's car and you're kind of expecting, you know, I don't know, just like godly driving, whatever that looks like. But, uh, like recently, recently I was driving to the office and, um, apparently I wasn't driving, uh, I wasn't driving fast enough. And so the guy comes around, right? And he just like, just, he comes around. You, you, I think we've all done this at some point, but you come around, well, not this one part, but you come around and then you kind of like, you go to the other lane and then you get, come back into the lane, like, like rough, like, yeah, you know, I was behind you, but anyway, so you kind of do that. Well, anyway, so as he's going by, you know, he, uh, he just shows me one of his fingers as he's going by. Which is kind of weird. And, um, but then as he was driving by, I saw the fish on the back of his car, which is even more interesting. Um, but, you know, but I, you know, as I was thinking about it, I think he was trying to show me, like, hey, there's just one way through Jesus. One way. Um, I'm pretty sure that's what he was talking about. Uh, it wasn't this finger, by the way. Um, but anyway, but here's the thing is that it, this is the odd part, is that it's not what you wear. It's not the, what's on your bumper. That means that you're a believer. Instead, it's something internally where God is working in your life. It's internally where God saves you. But then here's what happens. The externals begin to change. And that's the part that's so amazing. The salvation that God works into you, now he begins to work out through your actions and your attitudes and your speech and and, and, and all of these things and your compassion. And that's why Jesus would say it this way. If you have your notes, have you grab them, grab the pen that we gave you, your Bibles and all that stuff because you're going to need it. Uh, But here's what he says in the Gospel of John, chapter 3. It says, Jesus answered, I tell you the truth, no one can enter the kingdom of God unless he's born of water and the Spirit. Flesh gives birth to flesh. And spirit gives birth to spirit. And you should not be surprised at my saying you must be born again. The wind blows wherever it pleases and you heard it sound, but you cannot tell where it comes from or where it goes. And so it is with everyone who's born of the spirit. And so in the same way, you can't see the wind, but you can see the effects of the wind. And in the same way, you, you can't see if somebody's a believer or not, uh, because it's not based on how they look. But it's, once again, you can tell through the effects of what happens and through their actions and through their speech and, and through all of that. And that's the very issue that the Apostle Paul is going to bring up in this section of Ephesians that we're looking at. Now, if you haven't been with us, we've been working our way through the book of Ephesians in a series that we're calling Rethink. And what we've been saying is this, is if you change your thinking, you change your life. Because you've never made a a decision to, uh, you've never changed your actions in your life without first making a conscious decision to change your actions. And so what we've been saying is throughout the book of Ephesians is that if you start thinking a different way, you will start acting a different way. And this is where this whole rethink process begins. But the Apostle Paul is writing to a group of believers in the, in the, uh, in the city of Ephesus, in this, this church. And what he's telling them is, in the first three chapters, he's telling them all that God has done for them. All of these riches that we have in Christ, in our relationship with Him. But then he, talk, he begins to talk in chapter 4 very, very practically about what our response should be to the gospel. And that is like, this is all that God has done for us, but now how does that translate into daily life? How does it translate into daily living? 
And then you, he, he, he starts talking about how a believer who was seeking God and pursuing holiness and all these things, uh, how they should act. Because once again, godliness is what God is seeking in your life and in mine. And that's what the Apostle Peter would write in Second Peter chapter 1. It's in your notes. He says, as we know Jesus better, his divine power gives us everything we need for living a godly life. And he has called us to receive his own glory and goodness. Now, let me before we go any further, let me do this and let me give you a definition of godliness. Um, the, uh, the definition that I like that I'm going with is this. You may want to jot this down. And that is that godliness is the lifelong process of becoming more and more like Jesus. Very simple. It's this lifelong process of becoming more and more like Jesus, that it's making our habits, our words, our practices, our lifestyle the practices, words, and lifestyle of Jesus and, and making them, matching them as closely as possible. And so what Paul does in light of this, in light of this truth, is that he says he wants to give us these three markers of what does it mean that we're growing in godliness in our, in, in our lives. And here's where we begin in chapter 5 and verse 1. He says, Therefore be imitators of God as dear children, and walk in love as Christ also has loved us and given us, Himself for us, an offering and a sacrifice to God for a sweet smelling aroma. But fornication and all uncleanness or covetousness, let it not even be named among you as is fitting for saints. And neither filthiness nor coarse je- foolish talking nor coarse jesting, which are not fitting, but rather giving of thanks. For this you know that nor fornicator, unclean person, nor covetous man who is an idolater has any inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and God. And let no one deceive you with empty words, for because of these things the wrath of God comes upon the sons of disobedience. Therefore, do not be partakers with them. Now, if you pause there and give me your attention, here's the first thing that I want to show you uh, when we talk about what godliness is. The first is this, is that godliness is imitating God, not emulating culture. Let me say it again. It's that godliness is imitating God, not emulating culture. Now, my daughter loves the movie Kung Fu Panda, like loves the movie Kung Fu Panda. Um, in fact, she loves Kung Fu Panda so much, we can't let her watch Kung Fu Panda anymore. Uh, and, and the reason is this, is because when my daughter Mia, who's three and a half, watches Kung Fu Panda, she wants to do Kung Fu and fight the bad guys. But the only person that she can find to do battle with is her one-year-old brother. And so she'll basically start karate chopping him and doing all this crazy stuff to him. And he is just now starting to walk, so he can't actually run away fast enough from her karate chopping, body slamming, and, you know, anything else that she sees in the movie. So I decided to do this experiment that every time she wanted to watch Kung Fu Panda, I would say no, but instead we can watch the Care Bears. And by the way, if you didn't know, the Care Bears are back, and they are coming on strong. I mean, they're back. And, and they're, seriously, they're back. And so I was fairly confident that there was no blood in the Care Bears and so that it would actually work, even though I did see this picture recently, which concerned me. Um, these are actually called the I don't Care Bears. Uh, so but we're going to keep her away from them and just stick with the regular Care Bears. And uh, and we get into it. We get into the Care Bears. We sing the Care Bears theme song. You know, we are Care you know, we do the whole thing. And uh, but here's the thing that had this is the thing that was so fascinating to me is that we just so we're sitting on our bed um, and it's it's me and Mia and my son, Alexander. And we're uh, we're all watching the Care Bears and uh, and I'm trying to see what's going to happen. Right. 
And, and what happens is this, is that out of nowhere, now when we, she watched Kung Fu Panda, she would just come out of nowhere and just karate chop her brother and say, you're one of the bad guys, boom! And then, you know, he'd fall or whatever. And, and, uh, but now, she, we're sitting on the bed watching it, and she just comes over and she gives her brother a kiss and a hug. It was amazing, all because of the Care Bears and, of course, my ingenious plan. Uh, and, 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 and here's the thing, and here's what you might think as you listen to that, like, kids are so impressionable. Guess what? So are you. So am I. You know, Carrie and I, uh, we went to the movies yesterday. Uh, we went to go see, well, I can't say what movie I saw because people then get weird. Uh, you went to see that movie, even though it was PG-13, and, but you know how it is. People get weird. Email me and whatever. So I went to see a movie, all right? And I will even say it's a cop movie, all right? So uh, we'll, we'll go with that. And, um, and if you push me, it'll be, you know, the Care Bears take over Manhattan or whatever. Anyway, but anyway, so here's the thing. So I went to go see this cop movie, and um, and I'll be honest with you. I go see. I love going to see cop movies, and I get. I'll be honest with you. I get pumped up when I go see cop movies because I got done watching this cop movie, and I was like, you know, who wants to go? I mean, because I walk out. That's what I'm thinking. That's how I feel. I'm like, I am so pumped up, and I'm telling you, there were like some kids, some people messing around up front. I almost, I'm your pastor, but I almost got into a rumble. With like three seventh graders, yeah, you know, and I was ready to. T- I'm pretty sure I could have taken at least two of them, and uh, but but here's the thing, and and you just you you don't realize it, but I, I'm telling you, you're driving in a car, right? And you're driving like a nor- two guys are going to lunch, right? They work together, they're going to lunch, and if they turn on the radio and they hear "Eye of the Tiger" by Survivor, right, theme song for Rocky Three, they will turn into two different people. Like, I want to take somebody! Adrian! I mean, they'll do that. They'll start going crazy. Just, and it's just a song, right? I don't understand it. You know? You just, you just, you're going into your, you just, I'm telling you, it happens. You hear the theme song to Indiana Jones, right? And the guy will be like, I want an adventure. I want to climb something. Like, dude, we're going to Taco Bell. I don't know what you're going to find there. And, uh, but it's just the weirdest thing. It's just the weirdest thing that happens that, that we get influenced but by these things. And here's the thing, is that we imitate what influences us. And whether we realize it or not, we imitate what influences us. And here's the thing that Paul says. He says, listen, be imitators of God. Whatever it is that you read in God's Word and you see God doing, listen, you do that. You read the words of Jesus and what happened in the Gospels, and listen, you do that. And that's the very thing that happens, because here's the thing. He says, if you don't find yourself as an imitator of God, by default, you will be an emulator of culture. And what is, what is it that, that culture will, will offer to us? This is what he says in verses 3 through 7. Uh, he says this, But fornication, uncleanness, or covetousness, let that not even be named among you. And that's why there, there's three things that imitating culture produces in our lives according to these verses. Let me give them to you. Here's the first one. is sexual sin. That's the first one. And Paul includes a whole pile of things in here, but we're going to just, I mean, but the first thing he says is fornication, uncleanness, uh, all, all, all of this. And uh, just because I know this is not a term that we use all the time. But here's the deal. Uh, fornication is any sex outside of marriage. Um, it's the Greek word pornea, which is where we get our word pornography. And here's the thing that happens. This is the important thing about when it comes to emulating culture. Culture will talk to us. And there's so many of, so many of you here that are single adults. It's so important for you to know. Um, is that what culture is just the message that culture is constantly sending us is that sex is just an act. That's it. 
It's just an act. It's something that happens at a particular place at a particular time with two particular people, but it's not that big of a deal. But here's the thing. Now, that's, that, that's what culture is selling. Now, let me tell you what, what the Bible teaches. Now, here's what the Bible says in 1 Corinthians 6. He says, don't you realize that your bodies are actually parts of Christ? Should a man take his body, which is part of Christ, and join it to a prostitute? Never. And don't you realize that if a man joins himself to a prostitute, he becomes one with her? For the scriptures say the two are united as one. But the person who is joined to the Lord is one spirit with him. So run from sexual sin. No other sin so clearly affects the body as this one does. For sexual immorality is a sin against your own body. And don't you realize that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit who lives in you and was given to you by God? You do not belong to yourself for God bought you with such a high price. So you must honor God with your body. Now, here's the thing. Listen, sex is not just the act that culture says it is. It's giving yourself wholly and fully to another person. It's making yourself one with another person according to these verses. But once again, that's not what culture sells. Culture sells it's just an act. It's not a big deal. It doesn't really matter. But here's the thing. is on the other side of all of these encounters, here's, here's what a person realizes, is that when I become one with someone, I leave a piece of myself behind, and then you want to get married, and here's what takes place, is that there's all these pieces of yourself left, and what you want to give to this other person that you fall in love with and want to spend the rest of your life with are just scraps. And that's why Paul is saying, listen, you don't want to do that. You don't want to do that. You want to find yourself being uh, imitating God, imitating his holiness and his goodness and his love. So that when you actually walk down the aisle and profess your love before God and before your family, before your friends, you realize that you're giving yourself wholly and fully to this other person. And that's the thing that's so important. Here's the second one that he that he says. Um, in ver- that's, verse, that's verse 3. Look at verse 4. He says, Neither filthiness nor foolish talking nor coarse jesting, which are not fitting, but rather giving of thanks. So the first is this. Is, this is what culture offers. It offers a sexual sin. The other is this. It's filthy speech. Now, we tend to think that words are just words and they don't really mean anything. But here's the deal. Is that words actually reveal what's in your heart. Jesus would say these words in in Matthew chapter 12, for out of the overflow of the heart, the mouth speaks. And by the way, that word uh, for foolish, foolish talking is the Greek word moros, which is where we get our word moron. So here's what he says. He says, listen, no moronic talking, you know, and and here's the deal is that now what exactly is moronic talking? Here's I think what 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 part of it is for sure is what culture does. And that is it will take terms to lighten up whatever it is. That, um, you know, so God says don't do something. And so what it'll do is kind of change the term a little bit to make it somewhat more palatable. Um, When I was a kid, which was like 80 years ago, um, you know, when I was a kid, here's the thing. And and you don't use this term anymore. But when I was a kid, here's what happened. When there were two people who weren't married, who, you know, decided to live in the same place. um, When I was a kid, it was called living in sin. Now, that's like some of you here are like, what? I can't believe it's even called that. Um, Now, but here's we changed it. Now it's just called living together. Because living together, that sounds fun. Living in sin, I mean, that doesn't sound like it's a good thing to do. But living together, I mean, that sounds fun. I can play Parcheesi and stuff. But see, living, but see, living in sin, that doesn't sound, that doesn't sound good. But see, once again, we just, it's the same thing. We just change the name uh, and, and make it seem like it's okay, right? Uh, here's the other thing. You know, um, you know it, it used to be called, um, when you borrowed money against your house, it was called a second mortgage. That's what it used to be called. But now, I mean, who in the world would ever want a second mortgage? That sounds horrible. But now we call it 
a H-E-L-O-C, a home equity line of credit, right? HELOC. By the way, I would encourage you to stay away from anything that has hell in the title. Um, but, but here's the thing. But so he says, but, you know, so, so this is the thing that's so interesting to me is that, I mean, if you say, do you, would you like, because you're, you're having such a good time with the first mortgage, right? Because we're all having a good time with the first one. Would you like a second bonus mortgage? No way. I, I will avoid that like swine flu. And yet here's what happens. But a home equity line of credit sounds delightful. But do you realize that it's exactly the same thing? You're like, no, it's not. Well, what's different? The spelling. That's it. That's the only thing. But it's like, it's, it, it's just, no, no, no. It's totally different because, you see, it, it's just like a mortgage, except you pay, but then you pay, oh, maybe it is the same thing. Uh, yes, it's the same thing. But we just changed the terms to make it like it's not really that, that, big, that big of a deal, you know? Um, and, and this is just a weird thing that happens in culture. We just change the term like, like it's not a big, a big a deal, and we just, you know, take it on. So, oh, maybe it isn't. I, I, see, this is another one, and um, we, it's the weirdest thing because we don't even think about it anymore because it's been, we've been, like, blasted with this one so much. Um, last vacation that my family went on, we went to Naples for a few days, and so we're staying in this hotel. And you ever do this, stay in a hotel, and you turn on the TV, and it always goes to this default TV, like... Welcome to such and such hotel where we have the greatest stuff to offer. And, and then it tells you, let me tell you about all the different channels that this TV has. And, of course, it never has the channel you actually want, but it has all these different channels. And then it tells you about all this. And then it says, you know, because we've got weather, news, sports, this and that. And then it'll say this, mature, the mature channel. Now, what exa- now we know what the mature channel is, but what should the mature channel possibly be? I mean, what is what like? What should, what should a channel for mature people be talking about? Oh, you turn on the mature channel. Honey, what are you doing? Oh, I'm watching a philosophy debate on the mature channel. Oh, I'm, I'm watching the mature channel as we're seeing two people talk about the socioeconomic needs of the people of Chechnya. But that's not what the mature channel has, is it? The mature channel has a girl in a bikini and she opens the door and the pizza delivery guy's there except he's naked. And it's like, right, that's the mature. And now, mind you, how did that actually become mature? Shouldn't that be the immature channel? Because every pizza delivery person who's ever come to my house has always been fully clothed. Um, and so, but how does that actually go from being like what mature should be to being something to being something else? Because I'm pretty sure that we wouldn't call that mature, right? I'm pretty sure we wouldn't. If like, right, you know, because if a pizza delivery guy showed up in your house and he wasn't wearing any clothes, like, what are you doing? Just, what are you talking about? I'm mature. Like, you know, you're not mature. You're nude. There's a difference. Uh, and I'm telling you, it's just the weirdest thing that we just changed the terms. And so here's and here, here's another one. And this, this is what he says. And uh, we'll move on from there because I just want to. Um, <laughs> oh, boy. OK, it's getting away from me. Um, <laughs> But then he says this, he says, uh, I, where am I? What am I teaching? Uh, my face is all red. Um, and then he says, verse five, he says, for this, you know, that no fornicator, unclean person, nor covetous man who is an idolater has any inheritance in the kingdom of God. And this is the third one. The third one is uh, a covetous heart. It's a covetous heart because listen, what culture is teaching us is that it's not really covetousness. You just deserve it. You actually really, really need it. Now, I'll be honest with you. Uh, like, here's the thing that happened. I, I bought the new iPhone um, a couple weeks ago. 
Uh, and I, I really have thoroughly enjoyed it. Um, and, you know, people, people keep asking me, oh, did you have all the drop calls, you know, that people say? No. I have enjoyed the same horrible AT&T service that I had on my old phone. So it's really just, it's just been the same. Um, but here's the thing. I, but I did this little experiment with myself when the phone came out. Uh, because I, when I saw the announcement for the phone and I saw all the stuff about the phone, I was really excited about the phone. And I think that I was more excited about a phone than a person actually should be excited about a telephone. Um, because I don't, I like walk through Target and I see like a new cordless phone for my house and I'm like, dude, I've got to have that. I don't actually have that emotion happen to me. Like when I'm, you know, like, dude, it's like an old school rotor. You know, they don't, I don't get excited about that. But I got really excited about this phone and I thought, you know what, here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to wait 30 days to buy this phone. And people were asking me, like, did you reserve it? Are you going to sleep out? And I'm like, you know, what is this? But I said, no, I'm not going to do that. I, I just, I didn't. I'm going to wait a month to get the phone. So I waited, and um, so my, my 30 days were up, and then I told Carrie, I said, hey, we're going to go to the mall to get, to get the iPhone. And she says, well, maybe we can go tomorrow. And I said, no, we're going today, because today is the 30th day, and this is it, you know. And so I went, and we said, I'm going. So I, we went, and, I, and so I walk in, and I, I walked, as there's pictures of the phone everywhere, and I'm so excited. I mean, my heart's racing a little bit. I'm telling you, I have like an, it's like a weird thing I'm having. And so, and I walk up, and I just ask the guy, and I'm like, sir... I would like an iPhone. And he goes, hey, I'm sorry, we're sold out. I'm like, what? Don't you know I waited a month? And he's like, well, sir, did you reserve? I'm like, no. Anyway, I got so mad. And, and uh, uh, you know, so I'm telling the guy, and I'm like, dude, I waited a month to go. And he's like, why did you wait? I'm like, that's a long story that's none of your business. I need a phone now. I'm dying here. And, uh, and he's like, well, I can put you on the list. Anyway, I had to wait another three weeks for the phone. It was horrible. And I'm like, God, I gave the month my 30 days. I put my third, I put my days in, you know, don't, don't add another 21, you know, that's wrong, I think. Um, and, uh, and so, and my whole thing was like, cause I don't want stuff to rule my life and I'm freaking out over this thing, you know, and, and it's just, it is just the weirdest thing. Um, here's what Jesus said, which I needed to be reminded of. And thankfully my wife did. Um, but here's what, here's what he, here's what Jesus says. He says, take heed and beware of covetousness for one's life does not consist in the abundance of the things he possesses. And here's the thing that's so weird is that we live in a culture that's continually sending us the message that we don't have enough, that we don't have enough. And that's why there's ads for everything. Listen, a recent study came out that said that you and I are exposed to over 3,000 ads a day, a day. And they are coming to us and coming at us from all different um, angles. You know, we're hearing commercials on the radio. We see commercials on TV, and we see billboards, and we see people wearing shirts that are advertising things, and all kinds of stuff. And what is it telling us? Is that what we have isn't enough, right? The message is basically this. Hey, you have a car, right? Yeah, I do. Do you like it? Yeah, well, guess what? It stinks. Oh, really? Yeah, you need a new one. Okay. Yeah, you got clothes? Yeah. All right, yeah. Well, people have already seen you in those, which means that they're useless. So you need some new ones. Oh, all right, I guess maybe I do. And, and, and here, so what's the remedy? The remedy for all of this is the thing that Paul's been saying here in these verses. He says, instead, here's what we need to do, is give, instead of all these things which are not fitting, he says, but rather giving of thanks. What happens when we, decide, when we stop enough to give thanks? We actually are able to take inventory of what God has already done in our lives, and it begins to now destroy the pull of the need for more in your life and in mine. That's why Paul would say, listen, pray continually and give thanks in all circumstances, for this is God's will in Christ Jesus for you. Because when my primary input in my life is culture, I will begin to emulate what culture is offering. 
But when the primary input for my life is God, here's what will happen over the course of time. I will begin to imitate him. You and I will begin to imitate him. And the result will be a godlier life that we're living. Well, Paul goes on in verse eight. Check out what he says. He says, for you were once darkness, but are now light in the Lord. Walk as children of light for the fruit of the spirit is in all goodness, righteousness and truth. Finding out what is acceptable to the Lord and have no fellowship with the unfruitful works of darkness, but rather expose them for the things for the shameful uh, for the shameful to even speak of the things which are done by them in secret. But all things that are exposed are made manifest by the light for whatever man makes manifest is light. Therefore, he says, awake you who sleep and arise from the dead and Christ will give you light. See then that you walk circumspectly, not as fools, but as wise, redeeming the time because the days are evil. And if you pause there and give me your attention, here's the second point. The second point is this, is that godliness is consecrating my walk, not defiling my steps. Now, let me say that again. It's consecrating my walk, not defiling my steps, that every step that I take actually matters, that every step that I take is actually a step towards God or away from him. Now, here's what here's what I mean by that. And that's why Paul gives this whole imagery of light and darkness, of walking carefully, walking circumspectly and walking wisely. Um, can I ask you this? How many of you have like a household house alarm, home alarm? You get a punch in the code or whatever. All right. Several of you. Some of you st- are struggling with stealing or taking note like, oh, this guy doesn't have an alarm. All right. But you don't want to do that. Um, but here's the thing that happens. I have one, um, but I'm convinced that I don't need one. And here's why. Because I have two kids uh, and I have two kids that are leave toys out all the time. And my kids have created an airtight security system using their toys as landmines for people. And if you have kids, you know that this is the case. Um, because if someone walks in my house in the dark, they will not make it out alive. They will trip over something, they will slip on something, and they will fall and crack their skull open. It's just what's going to happen. And um, last night, I get up at about 3 o'clock in the morning to get a glass of water. And I didn't turn on the light because I didn't want to wake everyone up. By the way, that was a bad decision. Um, and so here's what happens. I get out of our bedroom and I walk. I'm trying to walk through the dining room into my kitchen to where my fridge is, because that's where we keep our fridge. Um, and so I, we, I, I'm walking in the dining room and I slip on something and I'm fall. I'm like ready to fall over. And this is what I hear as I'm falling, like what I think is to the end. I'm falling and I hear Buzz Lightyear to the rescue. And I'm thinking like, Buzz, I'm going to kill you, you know, and I'm telling you, and, and it's just like, I hate that stupid toy. Everywhere I go, Buzz is there. Wherever I am, he's there. And, uh, and this is the thing. And, and, and listen, and here, and here this, is, this is the deal, right? Now, I tell you, my kids put all these little landmark, little landmines that all I needed to do was use, have some light, and I would have been able to navigate them. And I, listen, if you've been alive for more than, I don't know, like seven minutes, um, you might know this, that there's some landmines in life. There are some things that seem like the right thing to do, the right step to take, but actually end up hurting us. And, here, and, here, and here's what the Bible teaches. It's in your notes. It says uh, that your word is a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path. That God's word has this ability to show us what the right next step is. To know, even though something might look like it's the right thing to do, we can actually have illumination from the word of God that can show us whether we should do it or walk there or not. And that's why Paul says to walk in the light. Walk in the light in the way that God has shown you. Because if not, here's what's going to happen, is that you're going to, you're going to end up making the wrong turn and doing the wrong thing, and it's going to end up turning you away from the God that you want to follow and serve and love. John would write this in 1 John chapter 1. 
He says, if we claim to have fellowship with him and yet walk in the darkness, we lie and do not live by the truth. But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another and the blood of Jesus, his son, purifies us from all sin. And listen, that's really the issue is that what Paul does is he says this. As Christians, we've been giving We've been given light. That is, we've been given revelation by God as to what he wants us to do and how he wants us to live. And the issue now is this, is that God, God allows us now through his word to, and by his spirit to live the best life possible and that the time is now. That's why he says this in, in verse 15 and 16. He says, so uh, verse 16, redeem the time to redeem it. Redeem the time because the days are evil. Now, the funny thing about time is this. Everybody gets the same amount. Nobody's more is richer in time or more invested in time than anybody else. We all get the same amount of time. The other thing is this, is that while you can use your time more productively, nobody actually saves time. You just spend it differently because nobody gets to the end of their week and says, oh, man, I'm done. I can roll over some minutes for next week. You don't get that. Once the week is done, it's done. And then you and then you move on. But the other thing that's important for us to note is this is that in these verses when Paul says to redeem the time, he doesn't use the, the Greek word chronos, because there's two Greek words for, uh, for time in, in, in the Greek language. One is the word chronos, we get our word chronology. Um, and so, uh, so when we think about, like, you know, there's, it's 11 o'clock, then it's 12 o'clock, then it's 1 o'clock, then it's 2 o'clock, we're talking chronology. That's not the word that he uses. He uses the word kairos, which is the word uh, where, where that refers more to um, epics or seasons of time. So really what he's saying is redeem the season of time that you're in because the days, uh, the, the days are evil. So let me, let's talk about a kairos of time. Um, your, your, your kid's childhood, that's a kairos of time. That's a limited, that's a period of time. Um, I mean, I'm thinking about this a lot. I, I have a three-and-a-half-year-old that's starting preschool in a week and a half or, or whatever it is, and uh, I'm freaking out about it because it's like I, I just keep thinking, like, I, you know, I, I, it feels like she was born, I don't know, like three weeks ago, and, uh, and now we're, like, we're buying her uniform clothes to be able to go to school, and, and, and I'm thinking, like, one season of time is coming to an end, that season of time where she's at home all day, and now she's going to be going to school and then coming back. My son started walking this week. Um, which you're excited about. He took 12 steps yesterday. Um, and so he's, he, he took 12 steps, and then he fell on his head, but that's another story. Um, but, but, you know, it's like he's, 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 trans, he, right? he's going from infant now to toddler. One, chaos is coming to an end. Another is beginning. And here's why this is so important, is because over the years I've talked to parents, and parents have, have told me, and this is what they said, and they, they said, Bob, listen, you've got to take the time. You've got to take the time, because once it's gone, it's gone. And once they're out, it's over. And what you don't want to do is, is, is get to the point where you, you say like, oh, well, see, I'm going to make up the time. You don't actually make up the time. You have moments. And then if you don't seize those moments, those moments just they, they just they leave us. And that's the thing that's so important. Here's another K. Ross. Those of you that are some of you are newlyweds. And, and let me talk to you for a minute. You've been married just less than five years or so. Um, um, now is the time to lay the foundation. Those of you that are engaged, those of you that are, that are newly married, now, this is the time to lay the foundation. Those of you that are married, listen, this is not the time to stop dating your wife. The things that you did uh, to, to get your wife are the things that you need to do to keep her. The things that you did to get him, ladies, are the things that you need to do uh, to, to keep him. It's, it's just, you, you just keep doing that. Instead, if, if you don't do that, you'll begin to just take this other person for granted. 
And the other person will begin to feel that way, like they are taken for granted. Here's another, another chaos that's so important, another season of time. Those of you that are married and your kids are out of the house, this is so huge. Your kids are out of the house. Listen, now is the time to invest in other couples. Now is the time to invest in other couples. And here's the reason why this, this is so important. is because um, we all know the stats, right? The 52% of first marriages don't make it. 67% of second marriages don't make it. 75% of third marriages don't make it. But here's the deal. is that one of the reasons why couples don't, don't make it. Young couples struggle and, and, and they end up um, ending their, their relationship. Here's one of the reasons why they don't have a positive role model. They don't have anyone who's done it to speak into their life. And imagine this. Imagine a couple that's been married for two years having someone in their life who's been married for 22 years speaking into their life. That's huge. And that's why, you know, one of the things that we try to do is get some of our, our group leaders who have been married, uh, some, some couples that have been married for a long time to lead some of our growth groups for couples is because this is the thing that we know is that even if you say, well, we're in our mid-20s and we've been married for two years and they're in their late 40s and they've been married for 20 years, that doesn't matter because they have some wisdom to share and you have some wisdom to hear and that's the thing that's going to keep you from making a whole host of mistakes. Singles? Let me talk to you for a minute. Another season of time. So important. I, I, you know, I tell married couples when I teach stuff on marriage, I tell married couples this. I say, get home early. I tell singles this, stay out late. Now you say, now why in the world would you take, tell couples to stay out late, or singles to stay out late? And here's what I mean. Don't stay out late for the purposes of sin. Instead, stay out late for the purposes of service. We had a group just get back from a missions trip to New England where they're assisting a church plant that we're supporting and helping get going. And... Um, and most of the group that went was a group of single adults. And I was so thrilled about it because here's the thing. How many of you, can I ask this, do you have like little kids at home? Can I ask that? All right. A lot of you, a lot of the, the 10 o'clock crowd was. Here's the deal, is that when you are, um, to do, we, my wife and I, we went out yesterday. And I mean, it was like an act of Congress to, like, get us out of the house, you know, with two kids. Because you're trying to get to, right, we got to get, okay, Carrie, did you call the babysitter? Okay, we called the babysitter. Okay, we got to get ready. All right, she's coming over, so what do we got to do? All right, did he poop? Did she pee? Did she do all this stuff? And we're trying to get this. Is she dressed? What, what's happening here? Did they eat? All of this, right? And this is, like, a normal thing. Like, and, and this is, the, all of this happens, and you're just trying to go to Publix, right? All of this crazy stuff. Do you have diapers? Do you have this? Do we have some kind of... Paste, because we're always talking about the paste if they go to the bathroom. They've got to have the, pa- the paste. Do they have the paste? I don't know. I have this other paste. That's not the right paste. Get the other paste. And so we got all this stuff, right? It's just crazy. And all of this, it's like, so what are we doing? We're just going across the street. I'm like, forget it. Let's not even go. I'm exhausted. Uh, you know? And, uh, and, and this is the thing, right? You know what singles have to do to go somewhere? Listen, they just have to dress themselves. That's it. So all you've got to do is dress yourself. And you're doing okay with it, right? I see you. You know? And here's the thing. And this is the deal. Is that now is the time. Now is the time to, to be able to, to, to do all this stuff. Because, listen, later on you may not be able to. And I don't have time to go in. If you're single, listen, you need to read 1 Corinthians 7. And, and because it's basically the, the very thing that I'm saying to you. Um, but here's the thing. Now is the time to be able to do some of the things and, and serve in some of the ways that, that later on will be not impossible but much more difficult for you to do. And I can promise you in this that you will never uh, regret giving your best effort and energy 
in, in that, this season of your life to serve the Lord. But let me give you the last part. This is verse 17. Here's what he says. He says, therefore, do not be unwise, but understand what the will of the Lord is. And do not be drunk with wine in which is dissipation, but be filled with the Spirit. Speaking to one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody in your heart to the Lord, giving thanks always for all things to to God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, submitting to one another in the fear of God. Now, if you pause there and give me your attention, here's, here's the last one. Is that godliness is submitting to the Spirit, not complying with your flesh. It's submitting to the Spirit, not complying with your flesh. Um, everyone is full of something, right? You ever talk to somebody who's like completely full of themselves? And it's like you're talking to them and everything is about them. And then at the end, they're like, well, enough about me talking about me. What do you think about me? You know, and it's like that's kind of their, their deal. And, um, and, you know, and it's like every, they're, they're, they're just they're full of themselves. You talk to someone who's got a theory and their theory is full of holes. And, and there's this language that we use, right? And here's the thing, all of that actually originates from biblical Greek. Because in biblical Greek, to be full of something means to be controlled by it. And the Bible regularly uses this imagery. It talks about someone being filled with wisdom, someone being filled with rage, being filled with fear, or being filled with faith. Paul here tells the believers in Ephesians to be filled with the Spirit. In fact, literally, in the original language, it means to be being filled, or we might translate it, to be continually filled in the Spirit. You know why we need to be continually filled? Because if you haven't noticed, Christians leak. We leak. We're not filled with the Spirit once, and then we're like, ooh, you know, I'm on ten. No, instead what happens is this. We're filled, and then we like kind of get a little, you know, drained a bit, and then we've got to be filled with the Spirit once again. And the result of being filled with the Spirit is look at what he says. He says, you're speaking to one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody in your heart to the Lord, giving thanks and submitting to one another. You're speaking encouraging words. You're worshiping. You're thankful. You're willing to submit. And listen, that's, these are the markers of a person who is filled with God's Spirit. But here's the thing, is that you can be a believer and still be controlled, led, and full of your flesh. It's possible. That is, be controlled by your, your flesh and your fleshly desires. Listen to what Paul would write in 1 Corinthians 3. He says, And I, brethren, could not speak to you as spiritual people, but as to carnal, as to babes in Christ. I fed you with milk and not with solid food. For until now you were not able to receive it, but even now you are still not able, for you are carnal. Listen, godliness. Godliness is about becoming more like Jesus and being filled with the Spirit is how we walk in His love and follow Him. You say, well, how can a person be filled with the Spirit? Ask Him to fill you. And then walk the way He wants you to walk. And it's just simply just read the Word of God. What does it tell you to do? If it tells me to do this, then just do it. And you'll see that the Spirit begins to lead your life and direct your life. Because, my friends, now is the time. Now is the time. Another chaos in time where God's allowing you, where, where, where you now open yourself up to God and now allow His Spirit to direct your life. Those of you that were here last week, um, I told you that I, I went to Boston um, and I was in Boston for a few days uh, making the trip that you should never have to take. Um, and that is I have a uh, I have a cousin that was um, 37 years old. He's a year older than me. And uh, he was at his son's birthday party and he had a massive heart attack and died right there on the spot. Um, and it was it, and I don't have time to tell you the whole story, but the whole story just makes it even more tragic. And uh, he was a healthy guy. And, uh, I mean, as nice a guy as they come. I mean, he's a guy that I was very close to. 
and um, and it was totally unexpected, and I'm still in many ways hurting over it. Um, but and, and here's the thing that happened, and I remember flying there, and I remember you know spending time with my family, and then being at the viewing and being at the service, and um, and watching them lower him into the ground, and uh, and I'm flying home the next day, and I'm saying to myself. You know, sometimes I live like I've got all the time in the world. And uh, my cousin, who was a year older than me, we said goodbye. And I had just spoken to him three weeks before. And we, we spent some time together, and I thought, and, and yet, am I living like I've got all the time in the world? And yet here's what happens with some of us. I mean, if we can be real honest. Some, sometimes what we'll do is that we'll say, yeah, I've got to get my life right. I've got I to do it, but I'm going to do it. And here's what we do. We put things off. Oh, I'm going to stop playing games with God because we think we have all the time in the world. My friends, my life the last couple of weeks, here's what I'm, here's what I'm coming to the realization of. We do not have all the time in the world. We might think we do. Two weeks ago, if you would have asked me, you know, so how long you've got, I'd say, man, I'm going to be kicking until I'm 100 at least. And now I say, I'm not really sure. Who knows? But I know that if I love people, I'm going to tell them that I love them now and not live with with some regret later. And I know that if there's something that I want to make right, I need to make it right now. Because who knows how much time we're given. And if we're playing games with God, then maybe the time is now that we need to do something, that God has given us this season of time to redeem. And that however long God gives us in our life, however long, even if he allows us to live to a hundred, maybe the time is now and we're going to look back and say, I remember that day in August at Calvary where I made a decision and that decision changed the entire trajectory of my life. And it was, it was, a, it was a day when I recommitted myself. I was playing games with God and I decided that day that I was going to get serious and I was going to repent and I was going to get right with God. Maybe some of us are here and you say, I've never even gotten there. I've never even given my life to the Lord. I've never asked Jesus to come into my life to forgive me because what he did on the cross, because he died a bloody death, because he was, bare, he was laid in a tomb, and because he rose again three days later. But now because he did those things, because of my sin, because of your sin, because of our sin, that if we, he could, if we ask him, he's willing to forgive us. And we can have eternal life starting right now. And listen, now we take that seriously. Here's what will take place. God will begin to work in our lives. We say, I'm not playing games with God anymore. Listen, things begin to change. So here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to pray for us as we close. And if today is your day and you say, I'm recommitting my life to Jesus, then do it. And say, God, I'm sorry, I repent, and I'm not playing games anymore. And maybe some of us, we've never made that decision. You say, today I'm beginning a relationship with Jesus, and I'm doing it today. Let's pray together. And God, we want to thank you for your love. We want to thank you for your son who died for us that we might have life. We thank you for this time that you've given us right now. And Lord, we don't want to take it for granted. We don't want to live thinking that we have all the time in the world because we may not. Instead, we want to live in light of the fact that you've given us this moment right now to do the right thing. So, Lord, for some of us to come to you, we're coming to you for the first time, and we're just saying, God, save me, forgive me. I want to know you. 
I want to be forgiven and I want to walk with you. God, I pray that you'd hear that prayer and that you would answer and act. God, for those of us who do know you, but maybe we've been playing games with you, we've been flirting with sin and we've been messing around, God, maybe today is the day for us that we say, I'm through. And God, I'm sorry. And God, we're going to get serious. Fill us with your spirit. Put us on the right path because we want to take steps in your direction. In Jesus' name, amen.